Thank you, gentlemen, for leading us. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Trust you're having a, a good week. I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy tonight, chapter 4, and we want to look at verses 6 through 8, so not, not a long text tonight, but plenty. So uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 8 here tonight. And let's ask the Lord to bless our study together. <clears throat> Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble, and thank you for your word. Uh, minister to our hearts as we study together. Give me grace to teach accurately and clearly. And pray, too, for the other ongoing ministries of the hour that you would bless. Thank you for each one that's involved there. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, note on the overhead here, we are in 2 Timothy. We're coming down the stretch here, actually. <clears throat> Good soldier of Jesus Christ, loyalty. And uh, we have worked our way down to parting words here. I say last words are important words. That's certainly true when it comes to what the Apostle Paul had to say. In terms of his last inspired words, what we have here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you could really kind of summarize it by him exhorting his uh, protege, his disciple, his uh, son in the faith to uh, stand fast, uh, to be faithful to the truth. <clears throat> there's really nothing more important than that. And there's nothing more powerful. I mean, it's one thing to say to somebody, hey, be faithful, but it's another thing to say, look at my example. And that's kind of where Paul ends up here. I mean, he's exhorting Timothy, and now he's going to say, well, hey, look at my example and how I have ended well here. Remember last time, <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 5, we ended up there where he says to Timothy, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. And Paul's a great example of this. He fulfilled his ministry. That's going to be the great emphasis in our study tonight, and he's exhorting Timothy, fulfill your ministry. You've got a ministry, you need to fulfill it. I've had a ministry, I have fulfilled it. Very important to carry through on what God gives us to do. Well, in the book, he has emphasized that last days will be characterized by apostasy. And to meet the challenge, what do we have? <clears throat> how do we meet apostasy? How do you, how do you deal with apostasy? Well, how about uh, preach the word, Right? And what kind of a word is it? Well, I'm going somewhere with this. It's an all-sufficient word. At the end of chapter 3, it's able to show you how to be saved. It's uh, profitable uh, to fully equip you for every good work. So in the face of apostasy, we have an all-sufficient Bible. You say, boy, this just isn't working. Apostasy is everywhere. We have to do something else. Uh, you know, maybe we should go to the Canaanites and see what they want to hear. Huh? No. Uh, let's continue to preach the word. Uh, there's nothing more powerful. Uh, there's nothing else. Uh, indeed, we better not do anything else because he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge. Preach the word. Uh, so Timothy is given that, that charge. Well, um, <clears throat> as we noted there in verses uh, 2 through 5, there's, there's nine imperatives that we see related to the preacher. Nine imperatives to the preacher. I'm taking very careful note here. Uh, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, reprove, rebuke, exhort, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. All these things. Uh, fulfill your ministry. Nine imperatives uh, given to the preacher in particular. Lots of application for all of us there, though, of course. Okay. Um, well, we're coming down the stretch here, and last words are important words, uh, and he's really signing off now. 
And, uh, you know, it's, I always love these verses because it's kind of like you get to the end, what's going to be your perspective? I hope I can have Paul's perspective and uh, what a wonderful perspective it is. You hope you don't look back with tremendous regret and say, you know, I just kind of blew the whole life God gave me. Uh, and it's sad, but sometimes old guys crash. Um, <laughs> it's always sad when that happens. And sometimes it does where it's kind of like, wow, it went out on a bad note. Seemed to have a pretty good ministry for lots of years. And then, I don't know if he lost his mind or what, but something happened. Uh, anyway, I won't get into examples, but I could give them to you. Anyway, uh, let's pick it up. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, with that background, let's uh, read verse 6. Who wants to read verse 6? Yes, Albert. Okay. Uh, He's thinking about death here, and he uses two metaphors to describe his impending death here. Uh, and he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The first metaphor he uses is that of a drink offering, uh, to see death as, as an offering. In this case, a drink offering helps to understand a little bit about the Old Testament in terms of the, the image that he is painting here. But he says, uh, I am already being poured out. Uh, he knows what's coming. He's after all where? <clears throat> well, he's in prison. And what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the guard to come and, and take him to the guillotine, right? He's on death row here is where he is. He's on death row. And he knows it. Uh, we believe this was written in about 67 AD. We believe he died within a year of writing this. So he didn't have to wait too long. It, he's already, it's, it's imminent. You know, his death is imminent and he sees it and he knows it. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, this was the final act. Uh, in the worship of God, you would have people, uh, they would bring a burnt offering, and it would be completely burned up, uh, emphasizing complete surrender to the Lord and, and worshipful surrender to the Lord and devotion to the Lord. But then the final act was to pour out a, a glass of wine on top of the burnt offering, and it would just go up in a vapor. But that was the concluding act of the, of the worship, of the, uh, the offering that was being made. And so that's, that's the picture here. Uh, the final thing, uh, the drink offering. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I bought a, brought a couple of pictures. Isn't this nice? Uh, <laughs> here's your burnt offering, right? It's uh, really signifying devotion, surrender to the Lord, a, a worship. But then uh, that's uh, followed up with uh, the drink offering. Uh, the last thing. And, you know, drink offerings didn't take long to perform, right? The drink offering happened very quickly. And uh, so it's, it's the last thing. It's, this is really a euphemism for death, as, as it were. Uh, Paul refers to this, by the way, the same imagery back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. There he didn't know uh, for sure whether he was going to be offered up as a drink offering. Here he knows. And he says, I'm already being poured out as, as, as a drink offering. By the way, uh, the drink offering was a sweet aroma to the Lord, Numbers 15. Uh, it, was, it was a sweet fragrance uh, to the Lord. Uh, it, was, it was that uh, feel. And I think it relates to what we know in Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Um, Brother Doug Witzke preached his dad's funeral. And he emphasized this and how, um, you know, the home going for a believer is, is precious to the Lord. And there's a great reu reunion on the other side, and God is there to welcome us. And, and uh, 
It's a, it's a sweet uh, aroma, a sweet aroma to the Lord to have his children come home. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Being poured out is in the passive voice, indicating that really is God behind it. Uh, he is sovereignly orchestrating this offering. Our times are in his hands. Immediately when the drink offering was poured out, it was evaporated in a cloud of vapor and was gone. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a picture of death, really, here, uh, this drink offering that is poured out. And by the way, uh, you know, we're not really in charge of a lot of things when it comes to the drink offering, right? I mean, this is God sovereignly orchestrating when and how it's going to take place. But it's a wonderful thing to see it in this way that, boy, this is just part of, uh, part of the deal. It's part of my offering to the Lord, including how I go and when I go. Uh, I'm thinking about here in, in John chapter 21, of course, uh, talking to Peter uh, most assuredly, I say to you, when, when you were younger, you girded yourself, walked wherever you wished. I think Peter was kind of a self-willed guy. Okay, I'll go where I want to go, when I want to go. He says, yeah, when you were young, that's kind of how you handled it. But uh, when you're old, uh, you will stretch out your hands, another will uh, gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Uh, you know, we all cling to life. We don't normally just want to go to the place where they're going to put us on a cross. Uh, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Isn't that an interesting line? By what death? He would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said, follow me. But, uh, you know, God uses our lives to his glory as well as our death. And he chooses what that drink offering is going to be, what form it's going to take. You know, I don't get to decide. Uh, you know, that's really not my prerogative. You say, well, you can commit suicide. Yeah, I, don't, I really don't want to go out that way. I don't think he's going to say, well done. <laughs> I don't think that's the way to go. It's God's prerogative uh, how my life, sometimes in boys, say, boy, this just seems like so long. And sometimes it is. But God is sovereign, and we, you know, we rest in that. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Here's the other metaphor. Yeah, he uh, uses the word departure. Uh, departure. Notice he doesn't say the time of my end is at hand. He says, the time of my departure. You, you know the thing about a departure? Uh, what is the thing about a departure? What, what does it tell you? Huh? You're going somewhere else. It's not like, uh, okay, this is the end. No, you're leaving one place, and you're going to another place. Uh, there's a departure, and, and that's the idea here. Uh, my departure is at hand. Literally, the word departure means release or to loose. And so it's that idea. Uh, a form of the word departure was used in reference to the unloosening of a ship so it could set sail. It was used in the unyoking of or, uh, or loosening of animals from a harness. It was used uh, of pulling up a tent to journey on. So you can see this idea of, of releasing. Uh, Paul was about to be loosed from his physical body, which is the reality of death. As James says, the body without the spirit is dead. So uh, it is a departure. Uh, your soul and your spirit depart from your body, and you're going somewhere in spirit and soul. Uh, we know where that is, right? Yes, we do. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, yes, well, pleased to, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. How long do you think it takes uh, you know, to be absent from the body and to get into the presence of the Lord? I assume the way the verse states it, it's instant, right? 
It doesn't take the Lord long to get us there. Say, how far is it? I don't think it's far in the spirit realm. <laughs> Very quick. Uh, you know, it's always amazing, you know, to, to be by both of my parents, you know, when they were dying there. I mean, the, the terrible of this, of just the, the process. The process is terrible. But then instant glory. You know, it's just so amazing. The contrast is just so incredible. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then here in Philippians where uh, Paul says, uh, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's, uh, it's not a loss. You say, well, people always say, I'm sorry for your loss. Well, what about the loved one who went to heaven? Are you sorry for their loss? <laughs> they didn't lose anything. They gained everything. Uh, to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed. I'm having a hard time making a decision here between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. How do you think Paul knew that it was far better to be with Christ? Well, he wrote this under inspiration, okay? Apart from that, you know, he had a trip to the third heaven, right? I mean, I think he, he had some firsthand experience here. Uh, whether it was in vision or actually, I mean, he didn't know for sure, but, I mean, he had some pretty, you know, first-hand glimpse here as far as, hey, this is good stuff. I, I really would rather be there. It's better. And again, uh, note uh, what he says, to depart. Again, we have that idea, to depart and be with Christ is, is far better. Notice he didn't say, just a slight better. It's kind of a toss-up here. No, it's far better. So it's good to keep, what a beautiful description of, of death. Poured out as a drink offering, uh, departure. Two metaphors that are used uh, to reference death and describe death here. All right, any other thoughts before we go on to the next verse here? Okay, very good. Let's go on to verse 7. Short verse, who wants to read verse 7? Levita? Okay. This is good stuff. You know, he told uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. I think that's really what we're talking about. Uh, the word fight is the Greek word agon. And you know what English word we get from agon? Agony, right? Agony. And so it, it's the idea of an of a agonizing struggle. Fight, uh, agon, means struggle, conflict, or contest. It's a word applied to military battle as well as athletic contests. And, you know, we think about athletic contests. A lot of times these contests were really almost to the death, if not to the death. Uh, some of these, these contests, <laughs> they weren't just your average athletic contest. Uh, quite literally, uh, Paul says, I have struggled the good struggle. Uh, this shows it was not easy. It was a struggle. Living a faithful life for God involves an agonizing struggle. Those that are faithful struggle on and struggle through with God's help. But it's, uh, it's, there's some agonizing. It's not easy. Is what, it wasn't easy for, for uh, Paul. He said, I fought a, a good fight. I think this involves endurance. It involves discipline. It involves consistency. Uh, you just keep keeping on. Um, you know, I often ask people, how goes the battle? It is a battle. The question is, are you fighting the good fight? That's the only thing that's really to be answered. But it is a fight. It is a battle. Uh, by the way, the word good is the Greek word kalos. From, you know, it's the idea of outward beauty. I think it's a beautiful thing to God when we're fighting the good fight. And, and that's the idea here. And uh, fighting the good fight is the idea of, of leaving it all 
on the field, so to speak. Giving it your all. Now, that's the good fight. Uh, you're not holding back. You, you give your all for God. Uh, that's the idea. I love this quote. I'm not sure it's from a guy that I would, you know, hold my theology in any way, shape, or form, but it's a great quote, right? I, I think so. I love the spirit of it. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body. Rather, to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. <laughs> I like that. Fought a good fight. Fought the good fight. You know, it was, I, I left it all there on the field. I gave it everything I had for the glory of God and for the purpose of God. Uh, that's the spirit here. Yes. Well, amen. Well, amen. That is well said. So true. And a lot of little things can distract us, can't they? Uh, things that don't really matter uh, when you get to the end. <laughs> right. Amen. Well, that's, uh, that's convicting, Vince, so let's go on. Anyway, no, that's good, though. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Uh, Every one of these little phrases is in the perfect tense. Uh, perfect tense is com uh, completed action with continuing results. I, I finished the race. He finished well. Um, a good coach one time said, uh, good teams finish well. You know, so, some teams are great in the first part of the game, but then it just kind of dwindles to go along. <laughs> great teams finish well. Uh, and I think that's true in terms of our, our Christian walk. It's not, well, it's good if you start well. That's good. I mean, you, you want to start well too. But you don't want to just peter out somewhere along the way. Uh, you want to finish well, right? That's the idea here. You know, some people, they, they start out like, the, you know, like they're running 100 yards and they're going like crazy. But really, we're in a marathon, right? We're in a marathon. This isn't just a 100-yard dash, uh, this is a marathon. As it says in Hebrews 12, 1, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Keep on keeping on. Uh, I mean, that's what it's really all about. Not just running like crazy for a little while and then sputtering out. And we've all known those kind of situations where somebody really started strong, but where are they today? Oh, man. Somewhere they got off track. They're not running like they should, certainly. So uh, we want to run the race and we want to finish the race strong. Uh, Note he said this at the very end of his life. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I think you want to be careful before you get to the very end, before you start saying, hey, I've really done this. You know, like you say, you can trip up at any point. But uh, Paul really says this at the end of his life. I always think of this verse here in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 11. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. You know, a guy's bragging before the battle starts. He says, you know what? You better maybe just be a little humble there and don't brag, you know, like the one who takes his armor off, you know, after you've won the battle, uh, you know, and we're in the battle here right now. Uh, for the, by the grace of God, we, we press on here. Uh, fight the good fight. And by the way, the good fight is not a flesh fight, right? Uh, no. Some people fight like crazy. It's like, this is not the good fight. <laughs> it's a flesh fight. 
the good fight is when you're walking in the Spirit, and uh, the Holy Spirit is directing your steps, and you're fighting not according to the flesh, but uh, you're walking in the Spirit as a, as a way of life. Uh, okay. Let's see, what do we got here? 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race uh, all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So, you know, Paul's exhorting. Uh, here's the spirit of things. You need to fight the good fight, run the good race, finish the race. Um, here in Acts 20, uh, Paul says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so I may finish my race with joy. That was his goal all along. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul's desire, his overwhelming desire was to finish his race with joy. But now he would say, as he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I've done that. I finished my course. I finished the course that, that God has for me. Uh, I remember this one guy I would always ask him how he was doing, and, and he would say, I'm pressing on. That's good. You know, that's what we ought to be doing. I'm pressing on. Uh, I want to finish the course. I want to finish uh, the race that God has given to me. And then he says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Again, this is in the perfect tense. I have fought. I have finished. And now I have kept. He has kept the faith. Mission, mission accomplished. Uh, all these are in the perfect tense. Completed action with continuing results. Uh, we don't think he's talking about personal faith here, but uh, really uh, he is talking about the deposit of truth, New Testament truth, that was entrusted to him. Uh, he has kept this faith, uh, this uh, stewardship that God gave to him. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul uh, said he was a steward of the mysteries of God, that is, the revelations of God that would remain secret apart from this revelation. Uh, it is a way of speaking of New Testament truth given through the apostles. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Now at the end, he is saying that he has done that. He has kept the faith, the body of New Testament truth committed into his care. So uh, praise the Lord for that. He didn't say, you know, well, I really waffled on that. I, I kind of dropped the ball in terms of what God gave me to do here. No, he didn't. Uh, again, we see in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, it's not about trying to make people happy, but God, an audience of one who tests our hearts. So entrusted with the gospel. Uh, this is the whole issue before God. And then again, in 1 Timothy 1, 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, God uh, gave Paul a unique responsibility, a stewardship responsibility in terms of New Testament truth, in terms of gospel truth. Uh, now, the idea here of uh, keeping the faith is to really be a guardian of it, to be a defender of it, to be a propagator of it. Uh, it's a, kind of the combination of, of all of those ideas. Paul Apple says this, I have kept the faith with a definite article. Paul here is <clears throat> referring to that deposit of the entire system of sound doctrine, the gospel message in its entirety, the body of truth to which he had remained faithful to pass it along unchanged to the next generation of spiritual leaders. Yeah, I think that's what he's really talking about when he says, I've kept the faith. I didn't compromise it. I didn't tweak it. I didn't water it down. I have been faithful to give what God gave to me. And that is the, the stewardship responsibility, especially for those in a leadership role. 
By the way, it's interesting what Jesus says in Luke. Uh, when the Bible describes last days, apostate times, the issue becomes uh, the faith as a whole body of truth. I think that's what's in view here in Luke 18, 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find the faith, definite article is there, uh, on the earth? Literally, it reads, will he really find the faith, uh, which would be on the earth, referring to the whole body of revealed truth. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people out here who want to claim to be Christians, but they're not quite holding to the whole counsel of God. I mean, when it comes to the role of men and women, oh, we're going to let that slide. Uh, when it comes to what the Bible teaches about creation, oh, we can let that slide. We can even hold a theistic evolution. We can kind of hold a both. It's like, how many are really holding to the whole counsel, uh, to the faith as, as a whole body here? Paul said he had kept the faith, uh, the whole counsel that, that, that God delivered into his care. All right. Okay, any other thoughts there before we go to uh, verse 8? Yes, Andrew. I think the, the former, what you, the first thing he said is certainly true. I mean, he obviously was personally faithful in terms of his walk, his faith. That's true. But I really think the main thing that's in view, most of the commentators think this is the case, he's talking about the faith that was entrusted to him uh, to give out to the church. Uh, this, and you look to all these other references, you know, this was his stewardship responsibility, the mysteries of God that were committed to him, New Testament truth that was committed to him. So I think the one, uh, where the one is true, the other is also true here in the case of Paul. For him to be faithful in his walk with the Lord certainly means he's faithful in his commission uh, as an apostle in terms of New Testament truth. So, but I think the emphasis when it talks about, there's a definite article here. He didn't say, I've kept my faith, right? I've kept the faith uh, which was entrusted to him. So that seems to be the main emphasis. But certainly, both are true. Both are true. I wouldn't make a major uh, haggle over that. It's a good question, though. All right. Anything else? Okay. If not, let's have somebody read verse 8. Who wants to read verse 8 for us? Yes, Jeanette. Okay, <clears throat> finally, when we get to your finally, what's it going to be? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think the finally is what is actually on the other side, right? And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, at the end, where are you? Uh, finally, and for Paul, finally, and I think the... The finally here relates to what he has just said. In light of verse 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. In light of that, finally, here's what is ahead for me. Uh, there's laid up. Here's what's waiting. I have something laid up. You know, the Bible says lay your treasures up in heaven. He had laid up. There's something awaiting him. Uh, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Um, 
crown of righteousness. What is this crown of righteousness? There's a, there's a couple ideas here. Uh, commentators are a little bit divided here. Uh, some think it's uh, the crown of righteousness is righteousness itself, where you enter into a perfect state of righteousness. Now, we have positional righteousness. We have imputed righteousness. That's true. But we still struggle. Uh, you know, in terms of our walk, we haven't experienced perfect righteousness yet. Uh, so uh, some think that this is really kind of talking about uh, the state, the perfect state that all believers will experience, perfect righteousness uh, in the hereafter, uh, Galatians 5.5, 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, uh, the perfected state by faith, and uh, we are looking forward to that, right? John MacArthur says the most favorite thing that he's looking forward about heaven is no more sin, right? And we are looking forward to that. And furthermore, Paul says this crown of righteousness will not only be given to him, but also to those who have loved the Lord's appearing. Uh, this uh, first view argues uh, this is descriptive of all believers. And uh, so anyway, that, that's the first view. Uh, I, I kind of prefer the, the second view that uh, the crown of righteousness really is a reward for faithful serving uh, in terms of a holy life that, that God will reward. Uh, crown of righteousness is a, a crown, a reward for righteous living would be the idea there. Uh, the word crown here is Stephanos. It is uh, the word that doesn't relate to being king like Jesus will be crowned king. It's not that kind of a crown. It's uh, the, the crown that is normally given to the winner of a race again, uh, that kind of crown. It's interesting what Jesus says to us in Revelation 3.11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. So uh, here Jesus is saying, you know what, you could, you could lose your reward. Make sure that no one gets you off track to where you're led astray and, and you lose your crown. Uh, I think that uh, would relate here. He's, he has been faithful. And there is going to be a crown uh, that is given to him in relationship uh, commensurate with his, his uh, righteous walk with the Lord. Uh, which the Lord, he says, the righteous judge will give to me on that day. Uh, the Lord himself is going to give this crown. He says. And uh, what kind of a judge is the Lord? He's a righteous judge, which makes sense that he is the one giving out the crown of righteousness, right? That's right. Uh, and how wonderful it is. You know, one thing, one thing about it, you'll get whatever you have coming, right? So will I. I mean, the righteous judge, is gonna give it, he, he's not going to say, well, I'm going to kind of play favorites here. No, no, he's not. He's going to call it just exactly like it is for every last one of us. And uh, I know I talked to one pastor, he said, boy, that's, he's really looking forward to that. Because you get so much stuff in this life, you know. Sometimes you get all kinds of praise, you don't deserve that. Sometimes you get all kinds of criticism, it's way out of line, you know. But the Lord, he's going to call it just like it is. And uh, right down the line, he is the righteous judge. Now, Nero, what kind of a judge was Nero? Well, that's, that's kind, that's kind. He was not only unfair, he was wicked, right? I mean... Uh, there was nothing fair about, you know, Paul certainly did nothing to, to have his cut, head cut off, right? But there's another judge on the other side, and he's a righteous judge. And he says he's going to give me a crown of righteousness, which I would take it uh, in terms of his righteous walk, uh, is commensurate with how he has lived. Uh, he will give to me on that day. This is the believer's judgment day. 
There's coming a judgment day. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, as he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let me see here. The moment we place saving faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We have imputed righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to our account. On the basis of Christ, God accounts us righteous. Uh, However, that is not what is in view in terms of the believer's judgment. The believer's judgment is the evaluation of our quality of service. So in terms of us being right with God, in terms of on the basis of grace, on the basis of the blood of Jesus, I mean, that's all settled. The issue at the believer's judgment is your reward, is your quality of service. And I think that's really what he's talking about here. Uh, he's, not, he's not saying, that's going to be decided whether I should get into heaven. No, that's already been decided. Uh, the issue here is rewards. In Revelation 19.8, uh, we read, And to her, talking about the church, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You know, that to me relates to what we're talking about, this crown of righteousness here. Same word. And it's interesting that uh, she is uh, given fine linen. Uh, It's the righteous acts of the saints. Uh, You want to be dressed up in fine linen? Well, hopefully you have some righteous acts to get dressed in, right? That's what we're talking about here. And so uh, the garments that the bride of Christ will put on at the believer's judgment related to her works, literally her righteous deeds, uh, as seen in Revelation 19.8. Righteous acts, righteous deeds. So again, we're not saved by deeds. We're not saved by works. But I think this is where rewards come in. Uh, Let's see here. This is uh, Charles Ryrie. The delicate balance between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility is maintained in the two phrases has made herself ready, she did it, and it was given to her, God did it. The bride's array is fine linen, which is explained as the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, the bride's wedding garment will be made up of righteous deeds done in life. The bride is the bride because of the righteousness of Christ. The bride is clothed for the wedding because of her acts. Righteous acts flow from a righteous character, which is entirely of the grace of God. Pretty good balanced statement by Charles Ryrie there. Uh, Okay, just a couple more references here. 2 John 8 says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for. This is working for. This isn't salvation. We don't work for salvation. It's a free gift. This is rewards. He says, look to yourselves. We do not lose what we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Isn't it a terrible thing? You could have reward coming. You worked hard, and then, I don't know, you lose your crown, like Jesus says. Uh, boy, you don't want don't to do that. Uh, here in Revelation, at the end of the book, Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. He's coming with the reward to, get, to give everyone, he's talking about believers, according to his work. Uh, So this is, he's coming with his reward to reward each one according to his work. Uh, One more reference here. The reward, the crown for righteous living is in keeping with living out the word, which as shown in 2 Timothy is profitable for instruction in righteousness. As it builds righteousness into our life, this righteousness will one day be rewarded with what is termed the crown of righteousness. Uh, That's what I think is in view there. And then he says, uh, not to me only, not talking just about me, right? 
not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, this is interesting. Uh, it speaks to the importance of the doctrine of the, of the Lord's coming. Uh, some don't want to deal with this at all. It's like, you know, just deal with, you know, current events and uh, my quality of life right now. It's all about right now. Uh, no, uh, he says, uh, not to me only, this crown of righteousness will be given, but to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, it seems to me those who really love the Lord want to see him. Uh, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to being with the Lord. It's really all about him. By the way, the word loved here is uh, a form of the word agape, the intense word for love in the New Testament. Uh, loving his appearing, I think, is reflected in holy living. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing him, and we live accordingly. First uh, John 3, beloved, now we are the children of God. That's what we are right now. We're, we're God's children. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, our final form, our glorification. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall be glorified like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then it says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I mean, if you're really looking forward to seeing Jesus, uh, that has a purifying effect on your life. And uh, not only to me, he says, well, I'm not the only one that's going to receive this crown of righteousness, but to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, that crown of righteousness has a direct parallel to loving the appearing of the Lord. I think uh, the way you are living pretty much tells on what you think of Christ's coming. If it's real to you and you love his appearing, it changes the way you live. It reorders your priorities. Uh, the promise of the Lord's appearing is ever imminent as seen in the New Testament. It serves as a continual warning and encouragement and an incentive to all God's people. Christ will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. You know, like we like to say, live ready, right? Yeah, we do. Yes? Okay, I don't know if I understand your question. Are you you're talking about first coming is the rapture? Well, if it's referring to, to the Lord's first coming. You mean his, his uh, incarnation. incarnation. Boy, nobody that I read takes that view. Everybody that I read believes this, loves his appearing in, this, in the sense of his second coming, uh, the, the rapture. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's kind of a new thought there, what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, the flow of the thought here relates to um, a crown of righteousness on that day. And that looks forward. So I think everything here is looking forward in relationship to that day when he will hand out the rewards, which is going to be at the, the coming of the Lord. So that, that really is uh, the full... Here, here would be a situation, Vince, where I would be very hesitant to take a view that is a novel view that nobody else sees at all. I'm always a little uh, uh, careful about that. Not that it couldn't be, but I think the flow here relates to the second coming. For me, it's looking both to the future and look forward to 
Well, that's true. I don't disagree with the theology of that. I think the flow of thought in the verse relates to the, the second coming of Christ. Yeah. Uh, notice um, <laughs> this is an interesting uh, illustration. Uh, in 1968, uh, Stephen, uh, John Stephen Akwari made the long journey from East Africa to Mexico City in pursuit of Tanzania's first ever Olympic medal. Akwari was a marathon runner. In the race, Akwari began suffering cramps as a result of high altitude. Determined to improve his position, he was then involved in a pileup with the other athletes nearing the halfway point of the race, uh, causing him to suffer a badly gashed and dislocated right knee as well as a bruised shoulder. Akwari was advised to pull out of the race. Indeed, 18 of the 75 athletes who lined up for the race would fail to complete the course. But Akwari pressed on in spite of intense pain he was suffering. As the winner crossed the finish line, Akwari was laboring in a distant last place. But his never-say-die spirit remained as darkness fell and the crowd filtered out of the Olympic Stadium. A lone figure embarked on the final 800 meters of his journey. Television crews rushed back to their spots to capture the moment that Akwari limped over the finish line, over an hour after the winner had already finished. When asked why he persevered in such punishing circumstances, Akwari uttered one of the most memorable and inspirational lines in the history of the games. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, he said. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. <laughs> I like that uh, God didn't put us in the race just to start it, right? He put us in the race to finish it. That's the whole emphasis here. And uh, rewards related to how we run the race. So indeed, uh, let us fight the good fight, right? Let us finish the course, finish the race, and God help us to keep the faith. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, huh? Yep, it is. All right, let's uh, share.